put, us, put some, some uh, uh, examples in the Bible for us that we can look at to and say, God, I don't ever want to walk that path. Show me your light. Show me your goodness and lead me. You know, the, the, the word of God is supposed to illuminate our steps. And so when we see steps like this, we're like, not walking there. He says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. So Paul's warning is, just because you think you're in a good position, he's saying to continue to walk with caution so that you continue standing. And he says, the temptations in your life are no different from, than from what others experience. And I think that's a great statement in general because most people always think they are the exception to the rule. You know, they hear a statistic and they're like, 10% of people do the good and 90% do the bad. They're like, oh, well, I must be in the 10%. They always think of themselves better. And he, Paul's trying to remind us that everybody faces the same types of obstacles. The only thing that differs is how we handle them. And he says, and God is faithful. Let's say that again. And God is faithful. Isn't that what we were singing this morning? All my life you have been faithful. I like the one verse in the New Testament that says, just because some were unfaithful, does that make the faithfulness of God of no effect? Not at all. God will always be faithful. Every day, right now, even if you're having the worst day of your life, God is sitting there saying, let me be faithful to you. Let me take you by the hand. Let's walk this together. It says, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you the way out so that you can endure. You know, most people, when they get into a hard time, they're like, oh, what am I going to do? You know, I just don't see the way out. That's because you're looking in the wrong source. Because the faithful God we serve will always lead you out. Now, it's kind of contrary to a lot of what religion teaches, that he's bringing you into it to teach you. And he's saying, you may have fell in the pit, but here's the ladder to get out. Here's the helping hand to grab you and pull you out. He's a good God. There's a way out. Wherever you are right now, there is a way out. And he also said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, he says, lest that Satan should take advantage of us, we're not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant. Well, I'm not ignorant. Some people may be ignorant. But you know what the, the solution to ignorance is? Knowledge. And the word reveals. You know, the enemy doesn't have any new plans. He doesn't have any new tricks. The same way he did it in the past is the same way he's going to do it again, try into your life. But when we're not ignorant of how he goes about it, we're like, oh yeah, I see you sneaking up there, devil. And that's why God can say that the things that were meant for harm, he'll turn around for good. Because you see them coming and you go, not today. You know, there, we always make the joke about that old season. Oh, the, the devil made me do it. Who, who is that guy again? Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. You realize the devil can't make you do nothing? Really, the statement should be, I listened to what he told me, and that's where I got where I am. But we don't have to listen to that source. We've got the Holy Spirit 
who speaks the specifics, the details to our hearts, and he leads us into triumph every day. So what does that have to do with Saul? I just want to let you know that just because Saul fell into it, he's now your example of how not to fall into things. And so this morning I want to start in the middle of his story in 1 Samuel chapter 17 which has got to be one of the most famous stories of the Bible. It's the story of David and Goliath. Now, the setup is like this. The Philistines have entered the land of Israel. Who were the Philistines? Well, they were actually migrants to the area. They originally came from the island of Crete off the coast of Greece. And they were a naval nation and they had built lots of ships and they started migrating away from Crete trying to see what they could take over. And so they settled along the coast of Israel. And after they were there for a little bit, they decided we're not content with the little bit on the coast we want. We want a little bit more. And so all of the major cities of Israel were actually up in the hills. And so in order for the Philistines to take more land, they were going to have to fight an uphill battle. How many of you know that's not the easy battle to fight? You want to fight downhill because then you're just going, nope, can't come up here. But if you're trying to fight up, you're always fighting above your head. And so they come and they settled in one ridge on the south of the mountain. And Israel was dug in on the north side and there was a valley in between them. So you have to understand from a military standpoint what Israel would have to do and what the Philistines would have to do. Somebody is going to have to come down out of their mountain, cross an entire valley, and then fight up. So neither of them has much incentive to leave the position that they're in. And so as often happened in, uh, in uh, old warfare times, there was, uh, there was battle by proxy where they would take one warrior and he would come out and say i'll be the warrior for your my side send me a warrior from your side that way we don't all need to kill each other just one person needs to die so that's what's going on in the story of david and goliath goliath is the chosen warrior for is or for the philistines and he is 10 feet tall he's a big old guy and so he comes out for 40 days and he's saying, send me someone to fight. And for 40 days, Israel is hiding in their foxholes. They're in their own land, the land of promise, the place that God said, I'm giving to you. Do you think that just because God gave it to you, would be enough wisdom to say he's not going to let it get taken away. And here they are hiding. Now, how many of us have been in a similar position? God has brought you into blessings, and then fear tries to rise up and say, you're going to lose it if you don't do this, and if you don't do this. And he tries to spin the wheels of your mind to think of all the ways you can lose it. And God is saying, am I not strong enough to keep you standing? right where you are, in the place of blessing. So for 40 days, Goliath comes out, and he says, send me someone to fight. And the Israelites are all going, nope, nope, not happening. But do you know, Goliath was there for one person, King Saul. He wasn't calling for just anyone. They didn't send a 10-footer down their side of the mountain into the field to fight someone in the army. 
Saul was actually the tallest person in Israel. Said he was shoulders and head above everyone else in the land of Israel. So Saul was a giant in his own right. And that giant came down looking for Saul. But he didn't get Saul. Where was Saul? Saul was hiding in his tent, just like all of the other Israelites. And so we know who shows up on the scene, right? We have David comes down. And David is the exact opposite of what Saul is. At this point, he said, they call him a ruddy youth. He's a shepherd boy. He's not even a trained soldier. He's a guy who's been out in the fields with the sheep and the goats. And he comes into the camp bringing some bread and some cheese for his brothers. And he starts hearing Goliath. And then some there's talk within the camp. Do you know what King Saul will do for the man who kills this giant? His family won't have to pay taxes. That's a wonderful incentive right there. <laughs> He'll give him one of his daughters. He'll become a wealthy man. He'll get good lands. And so David hears this and he's like, why is everyone hiding? This is a good deal. You know, I don't know what their taxes were like back then. And so David, he turns to the next person and says, what's going to happen? Tell me again. And they tell him the same thing. And then finally his brother's here. And they're like, what are you doing here, David? You've come just to watch the battle. David's not thinking about watching the battle. David's now thinking, I'm going to be the battle. But there was no fear in David. And you know, the thing about God is God is love. And the thing it says about love is that perfect love casts out all fear. When you know the one who loves you, fear falls to the wayside. David was pulling from a different source than the rest of the nation of Israel at that point. They were looking... 10-footer, and David's thinking, God of the universe. When you take that perspective, it's hard not to be a conqueror. It's hard not to be a victor. And so we know the rest of the story. David gets some stones, he slings them in the head, Goliath falls, and thump! And then we find here in verse 51, and David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. And David used it to kill him and cut off his head. And then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great, great shout of triumph. You know, it's a big switch when someone stands up. They're all hiding in their holes. And when they see that 10-footer hit the ground, man, attitude changed just like that. Yeah, we actually won! And they rushed out after the Philistines and they chased them down the road as far as Gath and to the gates of Ekron. And it says, the bodies of the dead and the wounded of the Philistines were strewn all across the road from Sharem all the, as far as Gath and Ekron. And the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. And David took the Philistines' head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's own armor in his tent. So that's great. That's David. But I want to introduce you to verse 55. It says, As Saul watched. You know, what is the place of a king? They're to lead in triumph. 
They're to lead by example. They're to be the one in this time. They were often out there on the front lines saying, men, follow me. And here we find Saul. Saul was standing back watching. You know, that is never any way for you to take victory in your life. If you stand back and watch everything that's going on around you, life will happen to you instead of through you. And so Saul, we take and see a picture into his heart right here. Saul was out of his place. You know, God has called you to be the king of your life. Now, he gets to be the king of your heart. But it says that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Who are the kings and the lords that he's talking about? You. God has called you to the forefront to lead your life. And no one else can lead you into victory but you. And so Saul's standing back watching, and he watches David go out to fight the Philistine, and he asked Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose young man is this? You've got to think about how ridiculous this is. Saul didn't even know who the shepherd boy was that he sent out and put all of their lives into his hand. This gives you a picture into a state of mind. He was just looking for anybody to say yes. Thankfully, God loved Israel enough to send David. And that's why we have the good story of David. But if they were putting their hope in Saul, man, this would have been a different day. And so Abner says, I really don't know. Now Abner, he's the commander of the army. And he is just as bad as Saul. Saul sent somebody out he didn't know. Abner doesn't know who he is. And he says, well, find out who he is. Maybe that's where they should have started. And as soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him into Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. And he said, tell me about your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse and we live in Bethlehem. You know, just from this little snapshot into Saul's life, we can tell Saul really was a horrible king. But he was never really supposed to be a good king. And so to understand how we got where we are now in Samuel 17, I want to go back 11 chapters to Samuel chapter 8. And it starts like this in verse 1. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, the oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money, and they accepted bribes and perverted justice. Now, this is kind of interesting because this is the exact thing that happened to the prophet before Samuel. Eli's sons went this same direction. You know, God didn't need Samuel's sons to be good. God could raise up another prophet just like he did with Samuel. And we've seen this cycle had been going on for some time as we read through the book of Judges. 
The nation of Israel, they turn to God, they're victorious, they start to walk in prosperity and blessing, and then they turn away from God, and things go downhill from there. And God raises up a judge who reminds them about God. They turn back to God, they reconquer the land, and blessing begins to flow again. Takes a few years, but then they begin to turn back away, and things go bad again. A new prophet judge has arised, turns them back to God. They begin to, and this happens over and over and over and over again through the book of Judges up until the point where we are right now in 1 Samuel, which really tells us that as humans, we need to fix our focus. We need to learn to set our hearts. Because if you don't intentionally set your direction, we follow the same course. We turn to God in the bad times and turn away from Him in the good times. But just you need Him just as much in the good times as you do in the bad times. And so here, God's going to would raise up another prophet if Samuel's sons weren't going to do this right. But it says, finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. And look, they told him, you are old. <laughs> That's great. Samuel, you're done. Let's just throw you up on the garbage heap. You're done. He says, and your sons are not like you. And he says, give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. And so they begin to look around and saying, oh, you know, the Amorites have a king. Philistines have a king. The Jebusites have a king. The Moabites have a king. Maybe we should have a king as well. And Samuel was displeased with their request, and he went to God, the Lord for guidance. That's a great place to go. You don't know what to do? You've got a source. And this is what God says to Samuel. Do everything they say to you, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. So when the Israelites looked around, they said, well, the Jebusites got a king. The Amorites got a king. They were forgetting they already had one. And I think we can fall into the same position. We get things going on in our lives and we forget we've already got the mighty king. The one who never changes, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so God goes on to say this to Samuel. He says, ever since I brought them out of Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And they, now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. So Samuel tells them, realize the king is going to tax you. He's going to take the best lands. He's going to require the best crops. He's going to take your young men and put them in his army. But that didn't move them. But Samuel's final admonition to them is when that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding. But then the Lord will not help you. You know, that's the king God was bringing them. And that's what they found in Saul. 
But the people refused to listen to Saul's, Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and will lead us into battle. As I thought about that statement, do you know what they were looking for? They were wanting someone else to make their decisions. They were wanting to let go of their own responsibility. But giving up your own responsibility will never lead you to victory. You know, we see this in Christianity today, that people are seeking a prophet to tell them what they should do. When you've already got the Holy Spirit. The, Holy, the prophet can confirm things, but they are not to be, lead you. That's what Hebrews tells us. That before he used to lead people by prophets, now we have his son. And there's the temptation that if someone else would just make this decision for me, then it would be good. And that's the position the Israelites found themselves in. Just tell us what to do when they were to seek God. So God gave them exactly what they wanted. In chapter 9 it says, There was a man, in Benja ben a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, and he was the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacharoth, and the son of Aphatha, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice, handsome son whose name was Saul. And there was not a man more handsome among the children of Israel. Who are they picking? Are they picking a model or are they picking a king? And we can do the same thing. We follow the flashy things. We follow the shiny things. The things that look good. And we often miss the God in situations. And it says, from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And so Samuel, he anoints him Saul as king. And then he calls all the people together and he says, this is what the Lord God of Israel has declared. I brought you from Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all the nations that were oppressing you. But though I have rescued you from your misery and distress, you have rejected your God today and have said, no, we want a king instead. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord. And so what happens is they bring all the tribes up and Samuel says, okay, God, which tribe? They choose the tribe of Benjamin. Which clan? They choose the clan. Which house? They choose Saul's house. And then they, fi they finally, they get down to Saul. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. Great start to being king, Saul. <laughs> Here the people are, all gathered together to declare you as king, and you can't even be found. So they asked the Lord, and he says, where is he? And the Lord said, he's hiding among the baggage. You have to realize the state that the, the Israelites were in. Do you want to choose this guy? He couldn't even show up. But it's amazing what we do when we've turned our hearts from God. And when he stops being our source, You'll grasp at straws and choose anything. And so they found him, 
And they brought him out, and he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And then the Samuel said to the people, This is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel is like him. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Now the important thing about that is no one in all Israel is like him isn't necessarily a positive statement. Yes, he's the most handsome. Yes, he's the tallest. But he's found lacking in all the other areas that God supplies. When you choose things based upon their appearance, you are often left sorely disappointed. There is good versus there is God. And God is calling us to the God things, not the good things. And we can pursue all these other things and still not be found in the place of joy with the Lord. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when we're found with Him, we find all those things that we were searching for. But the nation of Israel was kind of like what John said in 1 John 2.16. He says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. They were seeking all of those things which their neighbors had, but they were never called to be like their neighbors. Didn't God choose them as his own special people? Didn't he call them out from among the nations? Didn't he call them to live in the promised land? Didn't he call them to be his own sons and daughters? Now let's fast forward 2,000 years, 3,000 years. Hasn't God called you out? Hasn't God called you to be his sons and daughters? Hasn't he called you his blessed ones? Hasn't he called you to be victorious? Hasn't he called you to triumph in every situation? You don't need to look at the world as your example. Because what they have is passing away. What you get from God endures forever. And so the people of Israel, in their selection of Saul chose the most unimportant things. But we are called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto us. What things? He said, the birds don't worry, and God feeds them. Let's jump back to the story of David and Goliath. So David, he kills the giant. Saul finds out who he is. And it says, from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And it says that whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers of like. You want to know why it was welcomed? Because Saul didn't know how to lead. Saul likes to hide. They were like, of course we'll take David. He listens to God and he gets results. And that's why it's easy for people to see the blessing on you when you listen to God and get results. So this goes on for a little while. 
And in verse 6 it says, When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul, and they sang and they danced with joys, joy with tambourines and cymbals, and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Now first, isn't that David's job? He was made the commander of the men of war. But you know, when your heart's not right, it's hard to accept other people being successful when it looks like you're not. And this is what happened with Saul. This made him very angry. He says, what is this? They credit David with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. You need to be careful of your heart, of how you view other people. When other people are successful, celebrate with them. And then say, God, I'm next. When you hear people get up to give their testimony, how God has blessed them, how God has healed them, your response should be, the same God I serve, they serve, he'll do it for me too. And instead of allowing ourselves to get jealous of, well, why did God heal them while I'm still aching? We need to take care of our hearts that way. Because that's the way that the enemy slips in and says, you're right, God really doesn't love you. Oh, look at these people, they don't love you either. Look at, they're all, they're all happy for them, but they're not happy for you. And so the enemy was able to slip in and take Saul's heart and pervert it that much more. It says, so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And it says the very next day, a tormenting spirit overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. And the funny part of the story is, the only thing that would bring relief was David coming in to worship God. You know, for me, I'd be like, David worships God, things go well for him. Maybe I should worship. But that's not what Saul did. He allowed David to bring in a sweet presence with him rather than going to the source for himself. And we can look at things going on around us and we can see Miss Marnie lifting up her hands and being blessed. You know, we can hear the worshipers, you know, sing it belting out, God, you are faithful for all my life. But you don't have to worship through proxy. You can worship for yourself. You can open up your heart and say, God, you're my king. You're the one I draw my source from. You're the one who has blessed me. And this day, though I feel like my heart is down, I will lift it up and I will worship you right now for you're who brings my help. And when we fix our hearts on God, we don't need someone else to worship for us. We don't need someone to fight the giant for us. We've already got a God who says, I'll go wherever you go. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And the main thing we should take away from the story of Saul is that it doesn't matter who's the king of the land, but who's the king of the, your heart. So, Father, we thank you that you're our king. 
You're the one we draw our strength from. You are our deliverance from every situation. You lift us up. You charge us up. You build us up. You bring strength to us when we feel like we're going to faint. That we rise up. It says that we mount up on like wings of eagles. That we run and we don't grow weary. We walk and we don't faint. Because Jesus, you are our strength. And so this morning, we just take a second. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? Jesus, right now, we draw on strength from you. Doesn't matter what we're going through. You are more than enough for us. It doesn't matter what the situation is. You have already overcome. You've already seen the end from the beginning. And so we draw on your strength and your supply for whatever you have called us to, you have already made us equipped for it. Whatever temptation we find ourselves, you've already made a way of escape. And so Jesus, we draw from you right now. There's nothing that we cannot do when we walk hand in hand with you. And so we thank you for it, Jesus. Why don't you give him a shout of praise this morning? Hallelujah! We thank you, Lord! We give you glory! We praise your name! That you heal us from the top of our heads down to the soles of our feet. That you have been made wisdom to us, Jesus. That you are our source and our supply. And our hearts remain fixed fastly on you that we won't turn to the left and we won't turn to the right <laughs> it says that a thousand can fall on one side and ten thousand at the other but it won't come near near my dwelling because your goodness has overtaken us your love has surrounded us and we have victory in jesus name and we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week and happy Father's Day to all you fathers. Let's have some, uh, Robin has some gifts for the fathers and we have some donuts. Please eat two or three. Do not leave them because I don't want to eat them. <laughs>